Uh, Dan, is there anything you want to throw in here, bud? Are, no, are you awake? No. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm just... Dan. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious Fan. Welcome to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, my name is Peter, and I am joined, as usual, by the other two guys. First up, Dan Crook. Hi, Dan. Hey, fellow guy. (laughs) Guy number two. (laughs) That's how we list you in the credits. Guy number two. And uh, also joining us would be guy number one, founder and editor of thirddegree.net, your hero and mine, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter, calling in today from your local fiber optic relay center, trying to figure out why the FC Dallas broadcast fell off the air last game. Um, Buzz, it is a Wednesday late afternoon, early evening as we record this uh, episode of Third Degree, the podcast, and I'm just wondering, is it still okay for me to quote my dear friend Mike, the old gray wolf reiner, by saying, this team sucks. Yeah, I think it's certainly fair to uh, quote him that way. I I don't know that I'm going to push the panic button yet, but there are certainly concerns. Um, You know, Lucci talks a lot about this team being a team that's playing into form, that it's the, quote, start of the season. Okay, fair enough. But we should see some progress. We saw a little bit of progress in terms of uh, how Dallas looked in the second game, but in some ways they looked worse. They were held to one shot on goal. Nashville's coach Gary Smith said that that is a remarkable achievement on Nashville's part. Uh, their game plan, again, for the second game in a row, worked to perfection, and, and Dallas does not figure out how to break down a low block. You're going to see teams do that to them, and it's going to be a problem going forward over the course of the season. Hopefully they'll get better. Hopefully we'll see some improvement, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, Dan, during the broadcast, our good friend Steve Davis, I think, was shouting us out by commenting that one of us had called Nashville terrible, and he he was uh, suggesting maybe that wasn't accurate. Can you recall which of us it was that said that? Uh, uh, which guy number are you? I'm guy number three. <laughs> that guy. Oh, yes. All right. So I will cop to saying that, but I will also uh, now admit that I was wrong on which team is terrible. Um, uh, I not call Dallas terrible. Oh, come on. As a- All right. Tell me the last time you saw this team perform two games back-to-back so poorly as you saw in these two games against Nashville. And I want to and I will I will give the caveat up front that this is all on the heels of sitting around with your thumbs in your butt for the last 5 months and so on. But I will also point out that Nashville had the exact same situation and oh by the fact they're literally a brand new team of guys that just started playing together. Uh, well, you know, when they uh, a few years ago when they went to uh, in the same week, they lost 3-0 to Vancouver for the first time an FC Dallas team had ever lost to Vancouver, I think, at that point. Uh, and then lost to New York Red Bulls 4-0. That was a pretty uh, cluster F of a week. Those were back-to-back? Yeah, okay. All right. That was the same week. Uh, yeah. yeah. Was, um, right. I remember that now. But to the, more to the point, I mean, it's not so much a, a terrible team as, you know, the game plan just wasn't there. It didn't work out. Um we know they struggle against the low block. We don't... I mean, 
you know, there's you can have any of any number of reasons why. Uh, I actually asked Matt Hedges. I was in line to ask Lucci at the, you know, one thirty a.m. press conference on <laughs> on Monday morning, and when they limited it really heavily, and I was the last one in line and just missed out. So I had to ask Matt instead, and he said, "You know what? The guys up top they're just uh, playing it around a little too slow when they get up there." And uh, in some respects, yeah, that's that's definitely part of it. They uh, they look completely lethargic and, and without ideas. There is that enormous like fifteen yard gap that's maddening uh, between the midfield. You, Say that again. You predicted that. Gap, yes. Peter. No. You could you, tell it was going to happen as soon as you saw the yeah. the lineup. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, I mean, well, especially when you even see Brian Acosta deciding, like, yeah, I'm going to go this side of the line. Okay, not like, hey, let me actually. Be the linking eight and link the play. Okay, uh, so I, I don't want to. I, I don't want to just be a negative guy, but I I do want to point well, out that I don't think that this is something that you can just chalk up to the game plan not working out because I saw guys terrible first touch. I saw guys unable to receive the ball with their back to goal. I saw guys get closed down and unable to retain possession. I saw guys not capable of completing five 10-yard passes, um, super low energy, and they actually looked slower and more lethargic than they did in the first game, where you would think after getting beat like that, they would have been completely over-the-top ready uh, to redeem themselves on night number two. And and in, I think even Buzz said this at the beginning, I I would argue they were worse in the second game than they were in the first game. They were definitely worse in some ways, for sure. I mean, the, the one shot on goal is horrific. And uh, I think I have to look up the exact number again, but I think uh, Cobra only had 12 touches, you know, in his 68 minutes or whatever whatever it was. I can't remember exactly. Um, you know, that's, you're, that's a dude that needs uh feeding in order to score right and hara's only had 18 touches so it's like there's a total uh breakdown somewhere between matt hedges who's slinging the ball around like crazy with these nice passes out of the back and and the front somehow it's all falling apart and paxton over on the wing had 41 touches but which is great we love that love to see that out of paxton but then he only had two balls that connected into the final third and the whole team was a collective uh, had even less, they had four the previous game and then only had like the two from Paxton this whole game. So it's like somehow or another from the middle of the field into the final third, the whole thing is falling apart. And you could put it on probably anybody in the front six, if not the whole collective front six, including Paxton, who was better than anybody else. Uh, it's just not there. It's, it's, it's falling apart and it's not connecting. And whether that's all in that, what Nashville's doing or whether it's a problem with FC Dallas, that's up to Lucci to try and figure out. I mean, I have some thoughts about what they can change, but you know, I'm not the coach and he's going to start feeling the pressure as this is a short season now, 23, I guess 24 games for them because they have the one extra makeup game now, but um, you know, they, they got to get moving. But let's talk about Lucci's uh, choices in terms of lineup. Uh, we were all a little bit surprised because initially buzz, you had reported that you didn't think Pax would start. Um, yeah. And, and he ended up starting in this wing position off on the left, which, uh, creates all sorts of questions for me, but I, I wanted to address initially kind of the lineup that, and again, I can never tell if these graphics are, you know, thrown together this way to throw people off or is it meant this way. But when I was 
shown a graphic from the club that showed Frank O'Hara playing as a withdrawn forward, I knew immediately it was never going to turn out that way. It was clearly going to turn into a 4-4-2 empty bucket with Acosta and and uh, uh, Santos playing as holding mids. And exactly what you know Dan was complaining about, that giant space was going to happen. It doesn't take a tactical genius to see that. So I, do we have really any understanding why Lucci chose the lineup he chose when he's got a guy in Paxton who's supposed to be a 10, an attacking creative midfielder, yet continues to refuse to play him in that position? Well, Lucci on the call today said he thinks that Paxton is a 10 or a 7 or 11. So these are the prime positions for him. The 7-11 are the two wings, in case you guys aren't following the number system. Not you two. I know you know. Please um, read Buzz's historic yeah. <laughs> uh, manifesto about numbers and why they matter. Yeah, particularly under Lucci Ball, because he refers to all the positions on the field by their numbering system. You know, he calls them all that for shorthand. So it's yeah, if you don't know what they are, it's you're like, wait, what did he mean? So uh, Hara, we knew and you knew right away that he's not going to play as a 10. He's going to play as an off striker. He's so, never played with drawn yeah. striker ever in his career that as best as I can research and find out. Well, Lucci last week said had some comments where he thinks that that's the way Hara plays, that he's not a target nine, that he's kind of this off 10 you know, uh, not a high striker. Now, if you want to use that guy, this is the article I wrote about Jesus Ferreira. If you want to use that guy that and that you need a two striker system, this is not a two striker system. So the minute you put him in as what is a 10 and a four, three, three, he just ran up the field. Clearly he knows how to play as an off striker. Uh, He looked good in that capacity, but it totally wrecked the team and the flow. And that was a massive part of the problem, particularly because both the cost and Santos sat deep you know, and tried to, and just sort of sat normally. And that's what I meant by when I wrote in my piece that the whole team knows that Paxton's the playmaker because he had the 41 touches when everybody else had 10, you know, they tried to go through him. It just didn't work because there was, and he even tried to play sort of as a false wing some because there was no attacking midfielder uh, and there was no linking midfielder either for that matter. Cause it was a double six from the way I was seeing it happen. So um, I think all of this from Lucci is twofold. There's a pressure to win, obviously, but there's also a big pressure because Frank O'Hara is Dan Hunt's new big money, big contract signing. And yet Cobra Andresic is the guy who was in the scoring form. And so I think he's desperately trying to figure out how to play both of those guys at the same time without taking Mikey Barrios, who's been Dallas's most important player for three years now off the field. It's a tough thing to figure out. It's a tough situation. It's not a simple fix. Now, is he right to do that? Should he, should he have Hara and Cobra ping, competing head to head for one spot? That's what I think he should do. But it seems like that's not the case. Dan, all of this ultimately, though, when you watch these two games, is it as clear to you as it is to me? The uh, genesis of all of the problems of this team start in the midfield, particularly with Brian Acosta and his pairing with Santos and that kind of odd combination of the two? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Whether it's by design or just how it kind of fell about, uh, Acosta just hasn't been like that dynamic box-to-box eight that you want. He's just, you know, I'd hope it wasn't designed to be like a, legitimate double pivot both staying fully back and it was supposed to be more you know give and go as we've seen with uh santos and you know literally any other midfielder taspin 
Yeah, yeah. Well, Tasman, but you know, you could say any any other midfielder because anyone else would have anyone else in those that grouping of eight are the guys that can play. You know, at least have played some six, eight, and and going towards ten. Um, it in the early stages of the game, it worked out kind of nicely. Paxton was coming in off the wing. Hara was pushing up alongside Andrasek, and he was kind of. You know, he was coming back and playing as that free eight almost, uh, with Barrios able to just play a little free role, although he disappeared. Uh, side note, have you ever thought that you would be happy to see Santiago Mascara subbed on for Michael Barrios? Because I was shocked, um, but happy. Really? You were happy to see that? Uh, I mean, I know Barrios was having a, a pretty crap game, but are you ever excited to see <laughs> that guy come on the field? Yeah, because playing with 11 players, even if one of them's kind of terrible, is bad than playing with 10. Wow. Um, honestly, although he did, uh, you know, for the first few minutes, he did inject a good bit of pa- bit, bit of pace and excitement into it. Just uh, then he gave up and started walking around. But um, I was saying, yeah, it worked, 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 seemingly worked well early on, but then they kind of abandoned that almost what Nashville did in the first couple of games they played of the season where wingbacks push up high, you have your 4-2-3-1, which really means uh, which really means a flat four line up front. Um, I don't know what I don't know why they abandoned that quite as early. It was it was getting through even if there was still a disconnect in getting that final ball in. Um I don't know, maybe there was an element of panic there and then heads start dropping. But, uh, I don't know, to, to me, I felt like that was almost like a turning point in, oh, FC Dallas aren't going to get anything out of this game now. Yeah, it just, the whole game, uh, both games, when you look at them in aggregate, to me, it just, it, it appeared to be there was one team that clearly had a plan. Now, it's the most simple, basic soccer one-on-one uh, Gary Smith plan you could possibly have, which is to just kind of sit there and wait for your opportunity. But they execute it quite good. And then you've got another team who appears to... I, I'm not sure I can see any plan whatsoever. I know there's a plan. I know Lucci is trying to institute something. But I'm concerned that it's so complicated and so... Uh, driven by this idea of retaining possession that everybody's just and not turning the ball over everybody's afraid to, so afraid to turn the ball over they just don't try difficult or risky or game-changing pl- passes very often that was certainly the uh, the story of the first game at least when it turned into uh the the back three just passing back and forth um yeah, they, they at least advanced up to the middle third of the pitch this time. But yeah, it was the, like you kept saying, that empty bucket. It was uh, really, really odd. It, it, it was strange. So so I want to move on to Paxton here. And uh, I know he did a press conference that you guys were a part of today. Are we getting anywhere on, on sussing out why he's not starting in the middle? Is is that tied to an injury situation? How injured is he in all of those ongoing issues with their young little superstar in the making? Yeah, he admitted that um, he's you know feeling a little discomfort. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you'll call you'd call it an injury. He called it a knock, you know. So let's call it some discomfort. He's clearly not playing at one hundred percent. He's trying to play through it, you know. 
Uh, and he flat out admitted that he's, his performances have been what he said, and I'm quoting here, he said, I've been average or worse than average here lately for Dallas, the last two specifically. So, and he said that he needs to be better if he wants to be back in the United States men's national team pool, you know, get in the qualifiers. So he knows that he hasn't been good enough. Now, inside versus outside, I tried to ask Lucci about, um, you know, what sort of leads to that decision, like what he thinks of Paxson versus the inside versus the outside. And I kind of, the answer was kind of not, not cliched, but it didn't really dive into like why he's doing it. He talked about the differences and Paxton being a young guy and how he's part of the squad and he's part of the choices at all these places, but he didn't really single out specifically why he doesn't think he's the, the, the thing, why he's the answer in there. And, and I, I, I'm short uh, for an answer for, for why Lucci thinks that, because I can't get him to really tell me, but it's pretty clear since the middle of last year, right? When they started using Jesus in there, I mean, when was the last time we saw Paxton really play and start as that playmaking free eight or 10 or whatever we want to call it? It right? was, it was, was it was that run at the beginning of the season up until he left to go play uh, with yeah. the national team. Last year. Last year, yeah. yeah and yeah. then he came back and they gave him a break and he started playing Jesus and he stuck with Jesus in that position no matter how poorly Jesus played in that position and how we all thought... Now, you know, what we were told after the season was that, well, what we didn't tell you guys was is that uh, uh, Pax's injury and his hip or whatever's going on is worse than you guys know, and every time he ran, he was in a lot of pain, and we were trying to mitigate that. I, what I'm still confused by is... is, is is that still where we're at in terms of Paxton Pomacall? Is that the kid's got an injury and they're just really leery of making it worse because it's this, you know, it's not, he, you know, if you absolutely had to have him, he could play 90 minutes, but we probably don't want to do that because we're just going to make it worse, not better. Yeah, Lucci doubled down on that today. He basically said that it may be that, you know, for now that Paxton's most important role for them is going to be off the bench, you know, because the 90 minutes isn't there. You know, so for whatever reason, Lucci, between the middle of last year to now, whether it's the injury or whether it's something he won't tell us, he doesn't seem to want to play Paxton in the middle. You know, as much as we are clamoring for it and we think that the entire team just lifts and drives when he plays him in there, he doesn't want to. So, you know, and also, and Jesus has been bad too. So, you know, what, what he's going to do now, I mean, who knows what he's going to do this time. So there was uh, something kind of, caught my attention a bit today um last year talking to lucci said a couple of times jesus isn't keeping paxton out of the team brandon is and that he wanted he was targeting paxton pomaco as the lincoln eight fast forward to today he gave a very small mention of paxton can play there alongside with paxton can also play wing back in a with a back three but then he talked about, you know, 7, 10, 11. It was, it was kind of weird to have that complete switch around that, you know, when he came back from the U.S. men's national team and wasn't getting the team, Lucci thought, this is all right. This is, this is the guy that's going to, you know, going to be the, the death of Brian Acosta's FC Dallas career and, and whatnot when, you know, after eventually signing a six. But, uh, yeah, complete massive change to the day where he's, you know, back to, okay, yeah, he is a 10, but he can also play the wings. Before it was, I don't really see him as a winger, but he's a an 8 going 10. 
<sighs> All right. So um, we keep progressing through this uh, ongoing kind of news about incoming players, and we'll talk about Ricarte here in a little bit. Um, but with Jesus, with Jesus not starting the game, and now it sounds like Paxton's not going to be starting. Um, you know, Buzz, you wrote an article last week that kind of caught a lot about a lot of people's eyes about, hey, so much for playing the kids. And I think you're getting the sense that that's really going to become uh, a, a headline for this team here in the coming weeks, that it appears that maybe there has been a change of philosophy uh, around trying to uh, build a team around homegrowns. Yeah, that's definitely the impression that I'm getting. You know, it, it's a f- unfortunate that we can't watch training anymore because uh, because of the COVID. It's a league-wide thing. It's not specific to us. Um, you know, we used to be able to, I used to be able to sit and watch players, and I could tell you that he's trying these guys in this spot, that I think this guy looks good. This guy's pressing. This guy's coming on. They expect to see this guy soon. Well, now we can't do that. So now we're left listening to Lucci talk or uh, listening to people that feed us information and that are allowed to watch, that we do have our sources of information. And so what I'm hearing now, and I've been hearing for the last couple of weeks, and it's coinciding with the signing of this new player, is that, um, and no one's officially saying this now, this is just chatter, that Lucci in a way is losing some faith in the play the kids model. And I think it's a combination of the pressure to win, the amount of money that, that hunts are spending to sign Frank O'Hara, to sign this guy from uh, uh, Medellin. You know, there's this pressure to win now. And we all know that the kids, as much as the kids, if you play them and invest in them over time, they will win you a lot of games and you can build your, you can have your Manchester United 90s dynasty come through with six guys that win you 10 titles. I mean, that happens by playing kids, not by buying dudes. Right. So um, it sure seems like from the chatter I'm hearing and from the lineup discussions, the the, uh, choices Lucci's making and what we've just been talking about for 30 minutes that play the kids is a dying philosophy. Now, Lucci, even today, when I asked him to talk about that idea of the kids relative to the age of these new signings, he talked about balance. He said, I don't think every year you can just sign kids. Some years you have to sign veteran players because you have to have a balance. So <laughs> where does that sound whole, familiar? <laughs> right. I mean, that sounds like every other coach that we've ever had here. Right. So, so much for this Lucci Academy, he's played for this whole philosophy. We we hired him for this philosophy, right? One year later, it's now balance. So how much longer before it is, it's not balance. It's veterans because veterans is what people in pressure go to. So I, I'm not, I will be, uh, not surprised if even as early as this weekend, there are no homegrowns in the lineup except for maybe Reggie. We'll talk about Reggie in a minute. Okay, but you could see a completely lineup, uh, homegrown free lineup this weekend. Okay, I think this is a really important stopping point to to have a conversation, which would then be if in fact this is the case, then what was the whole point to letting Oscar Perea leave this team in the first place? Because the whole reason why Oscar left, and we all know it, he'll never admit it publicly, but we all know based on multiple different, you know, whatever, um, that it ultimately Oscar recognized that he was not going to be able to achieve great things with this team with the limitations of how the ownership wanted to do their business. And so when Oscar left... The Hunts were forced to shift, and suddenly they felt 
the idea of playing the kids was such a fanciful good idea and, a, and such an amazing concept that what we can do is that we can go out and hire a guy that literally has never coached professional soccer players once in his life because he's part of our fabric. And that was a really interesting and romantic idea. But man, it would be a super weird thing for them to have abandoned this at this point. And the, what I want to drive home, the point I want to drive home is, is that I don't think, I swear you could go dig up one of the previous episodes of this podcast, something we wrote on the website or something I said or, or Andy said on the radio show, that the whole concept of playing the kids was always a concept that was a better idea for the U.S. men's national team than it ever was as a practice to drive for FC Dallas to win an MLS Cup. And when you see national accounts like Half Spaces and Sestana and Parchman and Doyle all reply to your article about the kid thing being over with, oh, dude, that's bummer, that's not because they're bummed out for FC Dallas fans or the club because they never cared about FC Dallas winning. They just wanted more experience time for players to come through the national system. And that's why seeing all this play out just seems so predictable 18, 24 months ago uh, for it to get to this point today. And thank you for listening to my TED Talk. <laughs> well, my assumption is that when you drop from like to down to seventh place in the standings and then you don't feel like your team's getting any better, that that's why you change your philosophy. Because it's pretty clear to me from the outside that the philosophy has changed again. You know, and, and listen, I think that play the kids is a good idea. If you're willing to bite the bullet and, and deal with the pain it's going to cause you for like three seasons. If you let those kids play and mature until they're all 24, by the time they're 24, your team's going to be amazing. If you of course picked kids that actually are good, you know, so that that's the part that no one wants to live through the pain. You know, you start losing games, people, they're panicking about selling tickets. They're panicking about COVID killing their revenue. They got to win games, try and get in their relative terms big name signings for the hunts. Now the reason in the hunt world who are never going to go out and spend like LAFC, they're never going to go out and spend like Seattle. Right? So you know that like, if you really want to compete for a championship here, it's going to have to be a different kind of model. And so that was what I think they theoretically thought was going to happen they're, I just don't think they're willing to deal with the pain it takes to do it. All right. But Dan, isn't this actually the perfect and ideal whatever's left of it season to actually let the play the kids thing practice play itself out because you're never going to you can't worry about revenue in 2020 you're never going to fill the stadium you're even if you could you're you're only going to get 3,000 people in that place so this this if you were ever not going to worry about raising revenue because your team's not playing very well but you needed to use that time to play the kids to give them more experience wouldn't have this been the perfect time to do that so why change now well, I mean, they're, they're looking at they have a chance to win. <laughs> um, you know, they've they've talked about in the last couple of days the uh, the Ricarte deal wouldn't have happened in a regular in a normal transfer window. Sorry, uh, the, the Dan Hunt press conference that was before Sunday's game. You know, Dan Hunt said, "Hey, we're doing things as because the transfer market's changed significantly. We wouldn't have had a chance to sign Ricarte." if it wasn't for all the stuff going on right now and sudden needs for money across the globe from different clubs. You know, that, that sort of thing can definitely hurry things up. You're also looking at, you know, younger players are a little more fragile. You've seen all of the uh, all of the sports hernias and Paxton's is lingering and 
Brandon's out injured. You know, you you still need to to back those those players up with with experience and you know just there should just really be some reality in the world and maybe it is just this is the transition and you know the focus is really next season but you know you mentioned the the some of the guys in the class of 92 out of those six players or two of them sat on the bench four players alone didn't win countless league titles they had your your Roy Keynes and your Eric Cantonas and your Ruud van Nistelrooy's later on they had significant players around them and and they were the you know, in, in some ways, they were the filler. I completely agree with you, but I also feel like this is exactly what we said when the whole concept of hiring Lucci because you wanted to grow your own and succeed with your own was presented to us as this new kind of philosophy, which is, guys, that's never going to work unless you're willing to supplement it with quality inbound talent from other places, whether it be other Americans or other foreign players. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've we've picked apart the Dan Hunt comments of I want to see a homegrown 11 and a homegrown MLS Cup team because if they're good enough to be that consistent, they're not going to be here that long. Yeah. I, okay. Um, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be dominating. I just, uh, I just got a thousand thoughts about this. My biggest takeaway from the first two games is my concern that I'm not I, – I didn't come away from either one of those games with a sense that – you know what? It's just about finishing. If they just better, if they could get better at finishing, this team is going to be pretty good. There's nothing about what I saw in these two games that makes me feel like that they actually have a shot at winning MLS Cup this season. I I just don't see it. And then you know, and I guess we could talk about him now. Historically, with this club, when they bring in guys like this, it just takes a while. They don't even have time really for this guy to get good this season, do they? Who, Hara? No, um, Ricarte. Oh, Ricarte. Well, yeah, or Hara, yeah. or any of these new yeah. guys. Yeah. Yeah, the, the thing about this last game was that it wasn't about for finishing. It was about chances created. It's the disconnect in the midfield. It's the fact that it was this big hole. It's the fact that they couldn't get enough touches for Cobra or Hara, either one. There was no opportunities to score. It's not bad finishing. It's bad opportunity. Now, it is just two games into the restart of the season. So, like I said, I'm not ready to panic. But, you know, there is a reason why they've gone out and signed a number 10 type player or a deep eight or whatever the hell he is. You know, he's going to wear the 10 jersey. So, you know, my information that I'm hearing is that this guy is coming here to start, period. This is not a he's going to come in and compete. This guy's coming in to be the guy. So, uh, you know, it is a change for the hunts that it's a 28 year old prime of his career. Okay. That's, that's when you buy guys that you bring them in and plock them in, they start, but you're right. It is a very short season. By the time he gets here and gets ready to play, there might be and quarantines from COVID by the way, he's got, yeah, he has to quarantine. So does the other, the new keeper, they both have to quarantine. So there might be 20, there might be 18 games left if we're lucky by the time he's ready to play. So you know, it, it's going to be a short season and they're rolling the dice. Uh, Lucci originally said this guy was a consideration for next year, but they actually they just pulled the trigger and went ahead and brought him down. So he could acclimatize to the team and get ready for the team and play his way into the team. So uh, at least give them, I give them a tiny bit of credit for that, for pulling the trigger early and not actually waiting until next year. But uh, I, I agree with you that um, th- there are some problems. I do think it is fixable. Uh, we'll find out how it looks because Houston, we expect to be a, High pressing attacking team played more like Dallas likes to play, so the game should be end to end. So we'll see. We'll see how they do. Okay, so Dan, I'm going to ask this question, uh, and I'll let you go first. If oh, in fact this is the new philosophy, and I'm going to guess maybe it's uh, a philosophy born from one Mister Zanata, 
uh, and his perspective as an outsider and kind of going in and saying, guys, uh, you know, we need to kind of make a shift. If, in fact, this is a, an actual philosophy change, do you think the Hunts regret hiring Lucci as the coach at this point? No. Um, actually, on, on the subject quickly, there was a, a question in Spanish about Ricarte and uh, Felipe and um, and how they were discovered and... Lucci did say something about Zanotta discovering them, so yeah. uh, we speculated that possible Parfi link last Shocker. week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's also hot in August, too. But that's his job, right? It's Texas. It's always bloody hot. What are you on about? No, um, but my question is, you hired a guy to, you know, to help play the kids because he was so connected to them, but if you're making the philosophy change, does that now change the situation from Lucci and really... Uh, reduce what his what really was supposed to be his forte, which was working with the kids. I mean, if he's a, if you know if he's cracked up to be a good coach, he's cracked up to be a good coach, whether it's with kids or veterans, right? Uh, obviously, it's a much quicker transition period with with youngsters, and maybe you know that that still comes in handy, but. I don't know if we really have to see how the veterans respond. We know, you know, Lucci is a little bit wordy in his team talks when we watch when we've watched academy games, and you know, he's he's delivering those on the field. We know he's a. I don't want to say long-winded because it sounds negative, but um, it's it's easy to kind of switch off a little bit, and particularly if if you're a, a foreign guy who's been around the block. Maybe you don't want to listen to that, but um, I don't know. Time's going to tell, right? Whether they come to, whether they feel like they regret it or not. Sure. Right now, they're looking at a guy who's probably the cheapest coach in the league. Okay. So, Buzz, all coaches come with their pros and their cons and their strengths and their weaknesses. Not having any experience in coaching guys like a Frank O'Hara or the Ricard guys with you know resumes in their pocket when they walk in the door if in fact this proves out to be more complicated for Lucci and by the way nobody would blame him if this suddenly the way that this changes uh, becomes problematic for him my question is though Buzz how long do you feel like they ride Lucci as the coach of this team before they realize if in fact we're going to stick with this philosophy um, we may need to consider somebody else coaching the team. Mm-mm. I think a long time, actually. Um, they really, 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 really like Lucci. Uh, he's 100% buying into the Hunt FC Dallas philosophy. Now, it's not fair to Lucci that he hasn't gotten that time as an assistant in a pro team or that he hasn't been a head coach at USL 1 that he was going to be. You know, It's not his fault that he's barely older than some of the guys that are going to play for him. So, right. yeah, I mean, it's a hundred percent a problem that he has been thrown into the fire and I feel bad for the guy because Lucci is a very smart guy. He totally understands the boat he's in completely. Right. But I do like the fact that he is a modern tactician. I do like all those things. I agree with Dan that he is a little bit preachy and a little bit long witted. And he knows that because he's even commented to Gina, um, who's the PR head for FC Dallas, like in the middle of interviews, like, I'm sorry, Gene, I don't mean to be this way. I just am, you know, it's just the way he is. He's a teacher. So 
Is it a problem? I think it's absolutely a problem that guys may tune him out. Veteran guys may tune him out. And guys that aren't playing that are getting disgruntled may tune him out. So, you know, I, I think this year is not going the way anybody wanted. I think already, this as much as this year is a crapshoot, I think they're already thinking about next year. I think Ricardo is a next year guy. I think the new keeper is a check him now. Maybe he's for next year guy because there's a big buy price in December if they want to keep him. You know, I, I don't, it's, um, Lucci's in a tough spot. I feel bad for him. But the other, one of the reasons why I think that they will leave him a lot of time is because you know, as well as I do, the hunts hire from within the hunts, hire hunt people. And who else is there? Who are you going to do? Are you going to hire, you're going to promote Peter Lucene. That's the same thing as what you got now. What are you going to bring Eric Quill up? He just got here. He's been here a year. So I'm just, I'm just saying there's not a whole bunch of options. I think they'll let Lucci ride quite a long time. Yeah, it just makes you wonder how much influence and power Zanata uh, starts to gain and grow over the coming months, depending on how the season goes, and his ability to uh, attract, in theory, quality players. Like, until we see these two guys, and we'll talk about the new keeper in a second, uh, how they actually turn out. Like, that's one of my major uh, uh, pet peeves about MLS soccer, is everybody just assumes because some guy shows up from a foreign country, he's immediately going to be better than anything you've already got. Uh, Cobra being, you know, or Eric, or any name of guys that have come into this team that suddenly weren't anywhere near as good as they were supposed to be, Pablo Arangis. Um And so, uh, I, you know, who knows how good this guy will be or not, but... Yeah. Um, uh, time will tell. And I just, you know, th- this has been the most interesting aspect of what's uh, kind of been going on behind the COVID curtain for the last four months is this pr- this new kind of vibe that I get that Zanata has suddenly, you know, taken a hold of this thing. Yeah. Um, and I just wonder how much that means for Lucci since he had no say in Lucci's hire. Yeah, he he's remaking this roster in his not his image and his vision Zanata is for sure. This is definitely now his roster. Now, in, in terms of corporate structure, Lucci reports to Dan, not to Dan Hunt. He reports to Clark. Zanata reports to Clark and Dan as president reports to Clark and himself, but <laughs> they, weird you know, structure. <laughs> Zanata is not, Zanata is not Lucci's boss, right? Even like in the corporate structure, according to Clark Hunt. Now this is a direct him telling me even, even Dan Hunt really is not Lucci's boss. Lucci reports to Clark. So there's a power structure, like a three-headed power structure. So as much as like Zanata's remaking this roster in his team, Zanata's not Lucci's boss, and so Zanata won't be firing or hiring Lucci's replacement. It's that's going to be Clark and Dan, right? Dan owner and Dan president of the team are different people. I know it's confusing. Yeah. No, it is. It is. Yeah. Dan Kirk's a different person too. Yeah. <laughs> so very different. Well, you know what I mean, like, right? I mean, like Zanata's not Lucci's boss. Zanata's not gonna fire Lucci. Now Zanata has more power. He's reshaping the roster. He can probably go to the hunts and say, it's not working. He'll probably be one of the people that gives them feedback. But I don't I don't think that uh, I don't think it's gonna be anytime soon. I think All it'll right. be you know, a couple of years before they give up on Lucci. Well, I feel like we could talk about this in circles for a we while. Um, yeah. I, I want to move on. So uh, just real quick. So they did announce the signing of a new goalkeeper, a guy from Gremio. Philippe is his name. He's a young guy. Uh, there's all sorts of photos with him hanging out with Alisson and Ederson and other Brazilian greats. Um, I don't know what that says about his qualities as a keeper, but uh, this isn't just a backup signing, is it, Buzz? Well, Lucci says that he's coming in to compete and that he's not going to walk in and start. We'll have to take him at, at his word on that. 
I mean, if they give the guy the number one jersey, that's going to tell you a lot, I think, because I think that's important. You know, if if Jimmy's your starter and just some new guy comes in, you just hand him the one, I mean, that's that's a big deal. Uh, I th- I think that it's a. Did they give him the number one? They haven't. There's no number yet. Okay. I don't know yet. No, there's no number assigned yet. I'm just saying if they do, there's not a lot of numbers available. But if they give him a one, that's kind of a slap in Jimmy's face because this kid is only going to be here till December. And then the reported buy price is $2.5 million. Hmm. Now, I don't know if that's accurate. It's been reported out of Columbia. So that's a big, big number. But, you know, Lucci says the guy's here to compete. We'll see. I mean, if he walks in and starts, I mean, that's at 21 years old, that either means he's going to be incredible or, you know, my gut is this is a buy to sell. That, like, you look at him now, and if you really like him, you buy him, and then a year and a half from now, you sell him again for, like, $5 million. You know, you double your money or whatever. That's typically I mean, how this business works. That, that kind of philosophy just makes sense for a guy that age. He's, you know, Brazil under 23. He's had call-ups to the full national team, hasn't played, but that's why there's pictures of him with Neymar and Allison and Edison. Um, yeah, 21 has, you know, potentially has a decent olympic tournament or just gets caught up in brazil uh brazil win gold or do well and suddenly his buy price just goes up so much uh do we know when the uh, new colombian midfielder ricarte will uh show up and, and i still don't know if i'm pronouncing pronouncing that correctly i think i am yeah, yeah this way everyone did on the conference call today lucci said it, uh, within the next week and a half to two weeks and, and then part of that includes of course the quarantine so you know Wait, so he may, it may be specific. two weeks before he shows up and then another two weeks to quarantine? Or He'll that... be here next week and then he quarantines. Yeah. Uh-huh. The keeper follows the week after. Okay, all right. Yeah. Um, any other comments? I know we got into the whole structure and roster and all this stuff. I, I just want to make sure that were there any other comments about uh, the two losses or the most recent loss again, or tie, excuse me, against Nashville uh, before we move on to other things? Uh, I, will, I don't have any I think we covered all the horrible stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I will uh, make note that no. I guess one interesting thing is uh, the next uh, the next MLS games to oh we had the Toronto Vancouver game already. No mind. As I say, we we've watched these two games back, but we kind of don't know how batshit crazy the league's gonna get in this uh, first phase. So you know, for all we know, that those two games could be the norm. Which yeah. would be terrible. Uh, well, I mean, I you know, I'm going to assume that all of these teams, that the bulk of the teams that 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 played uh, in the tournament and got in, you know, past the first round, or even the teams that just played the three games in the first round, you would think they would have some sort of advanced level over what Nashville and Dallas had. I mean, again, Nashville played a very organized game, but it's not like they played. R- well, I, I, I hate to They play to, s- to their strengths. Yeah, I guess that's They the don't way have to that say. many of them, but they have Walker, they have two settled defensive midfielders, they have a lot of pace up front. They play to that. Yeah, they're certainly going to frustrate a lot of teams, but I don't think they're going to win a lot of games. No, they're yeah, going to the have thing. a lot of 1 nils, nil nils. Yeah. It's going to be it's boring, boring Arsenal. Okay. Uh, okay. And then uh, anything you mentioned that you thought Reggie may be starting against Houston on Friday night. Is Reggie moving? What's the latest with this? Sure. I'm still sticking with my France story that I don't believe anybody else has had that connection. Um, my understanding on the information I'm getting on that from my sources is that deal is essentially at the final hurdle, the very last whatever that needs to be you know, checked, marked. Is, it's all but done. Now, Things can fall apart at the all but done stage. They do happen. 
Um, but I, I'm, I'm told this is right on the verge of happening um, and that it could just be any minute. Like it literally could be by the time we're done recording this, you might see an announcement or it might be in a week or two. So there's, I, for me, just as it was last game, there's a good a chance as any that Reggie's either not playing or this next one will be his last game. You know, it's basically like he said goodbye to the fans basically the other day. Well, they had a road game. So maybe he meant like, I'm going to play one more on the road, but I'm not going to see you fans again or, or something. You know, he sat that on the field so, after the game. I mean, like, all yeah, the that was a weird moment, happened. him sitting with Paxton. That was a very. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm telling you. Like, this, my information is this deal is effectively like at the very last hurdle. Now, is it going to trip on the hurdle or is it going to cross the finish line? Well, are we surprised then if they're they're that close that they're actually letting him play and endangering the fact that he may get hurt? Well, I I think as long as he's your player and until the paperwork is actually signed that he's your player and he's playing. I mean, that's, Mm. you know, plus Reggie's going to want to pull Reggie, when he's going to be Reggie, he's going to play. So, um, you know, it won't also won't shock me if they do pull him, and maybe it'll finally cross whatever hurdle it was, and then it'll be done, and then he won't play. All right. Uh, the one last thing I do want to talk about very quickly about the the two Nashville games. One is that we did find out today that there is no definitive ruling on what will happen to the guy that got thrown out for throwing the bottle on the field uh, during the national anthem. Anything else on that? No, just I, I would imagine that uh, Dallas wants a pretty significant, um, you know, punishment. There is a specific league guideline. There is a league set of rules for fan conduct. And I think that it ha- that decision has to happen at the league level. And I think Dallas would like it to be longer than whatever the standard is, which is why you haven't heard anything yet. All right. Friday, <laughs> 7 p.m. FC Dallas down at a Texas Derby with Houston buzz. What should we expect? I'm sure everything will get much better yeah. and we'll all feel way <laughs> more positive about this uh, come Saturday. Right. Come on. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, first of all, Ryan is out. That was confirmed by Lucci. He definitely is missing this game, and he might miss the next game after that. They said they're hoping they're getting back. Now, he's back in town. He's just in quarantine because he went and flew commercial and went to his family. So uh, good chance you see Nelson again. Um, Brandon Cervania Brandon is back. He is training, uh, but it's probably a little soon to expect him to be in the lineup for just having been back for like four days or something. Um what I'm hearing is that there's another change in formation being contemplated, that they're looking at options. And I know, well, I think it's a combination of Ryan being out because as much as we think Johnny Nelson has a future, he was definitely a weak link in terms of the build. He only passed at like a 77% clip. So with Paxton in front of him, that should have been better and it wasn't. So there was a problem build on the little bit on the left side. So, um, you know, whether it's going to be a, a formation shift or just a tactical shift. Um, Paxton said that he's expecting Todd Ramos to high press because Paxton played a bunch for him with the national team, if you remember. So he said it's going to be a vertical pressing game is what they're expecting. So um, I think you're going to see a shift from last game. Now, is it three at the back? Possibly because for the same reason we thought it would be against Nashville because Houston's got fast forwards. So maybe it's a three at the back. We don't, we're not hearing yet for sure. Or maybe they just mean that it's going to be a shift like it's a single pivot or maybe it's a frontline shift so you can get two strikers. We'll, we'll learn more over the next couple of days. Um, but I think you're going to see a, a shift. And I think that it's going to be in an effort to figure out how to get Frank O'Hara and Cobra and Barrios all working in the same team, which is not as easy as it sounds. <laughs> no. Uh, there's too many parts there. Yeah. 
miss there are too many ill-fitting parts to make right. that work well yeah right unfortunate All yeah right. so either you got to figure out how to play a two striker system in which case one of those two guys has to be like a real 10 and who's that going to be barrios he's not a passer or you have to play hara or cobra as a wing or you have to do some sort of lopsided shape i don't know it's not an easy task um other than i don't think i, I don't think jesus will start and i don't think paxton will start um, you know, related to his thing, you just, you know, you can only use him for a certain amount of time, basically is what it seems like. And Lucci was pretty clear today that like Paxton as a late game sub might be all they have right now. Hint, hint, you know, he nods knowingly. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I, you know, uh, we, none of us like Acosta, but who else do you have? I mean, if Savannah's not ready, Tessman, uh, there's another kid. Uh, so I, I, my, my guess right now, and I'll maybe know more later in the week, my guess right now is that more of a single pivot, more of a, a Santos on an isolation with Acosta high, you know, and, and then maybe, maybe, uh, Fafa Pico of all people or Santiago Mascara as the 10. Oh my God. I don't, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's a mess. Yeah. You know, I don't have an answer. <laughs> yeah. And I want Dan to, uh, relay any kind of insight, uh, or scouting he has possibly about Houston, um, here in a second. But I, I do want to go back one second real quick and make sure that I just don't think anybody ourselves, and we're just as guilty as this as anybody else. I don't think we're talking enough about Brian Acosta because am I not correct in saying he's the most expensive transfer in club history? He was. I think the initial figures were, and then uh, there was a whole ordeal in Spain because uh, CD Tenerife had. Uh, They'd misquoted the figure and it had a knock-on effect with the solidarity payment that went back to a previous club and actually it was somehow less. Okay, but if he's not the most expensive transfer in club history, he's one of the top two or three, I would say, we could make that argument, right? Yeah, I think originally they were talking about him being two and a half million and ended up being like one and a half, but that still puts him up, you know, two million sort of like there. They're very high end. I know. Oh, my gosh. All right. Details, schmeetails. All right. My point being is, <laughs> at some point, we should have a conversation about how maybe Brian Acosta has not come anywhere close to panning out for this team. He's been okay. Uh, he showed some things very early. But are we not now in a position to qualify him as almost bust material considering what little we've got the team has gotten out of him in this time and if if we ever I mean now's the time for him to put the pedal to the metal and prove his value to this club I guess is what I should be saying no I'm in I think he should sit you think he should sit oh yeah I think he should be benched yeah 100% I think Brandon Savini should be starting even with limited playing uh training time I'm ready for Brandon to be in there I think the cost has been terrible and is just my is, two cents, but I'm not a coach. Is is Acosta been terrible because the the coach has been putting him in the wrong? Like when they tried to play him as a six, and he was terrible. I never really blamed him because he's never been a six. But is are, are is the club playing him in the wrong place and asking him to do something that's not his strength or his forte? I I mean, if you in a double pivot, probably. But um, you know, he's still is who he is for me. To me, there's never been enough forward passing. That's all. His most dangerous times is when he has run forward and he's blasted over the top. He got one of those early, and so now he does it all the time. So, I mean, I'm I'm definitely out and soured on the guy. I'm ready for somebody else to be in there. And I, 
you know, Serenio, Tessman, whoever it is, I'd like to see somebody else in there with Thiago Santos. Okay. So I, I, you don't have to convince me I'm 100% agreeing. And saying, uh, you know, talking about the six and, and playing in different roles, there's nothing he hasn't done for his national team. It's not like he's being asked to play centre-back or centre-forward. He's, you know, uh, he's a midfielder who's played in all three of those main roles, being asked to play in two of them at different times. He's just not turning out good performances for Dallas, is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, this this season was supposed to be he's got the keys to the midfield and see what he can do, and uh, he dropped him down the storm drain. Okay, so it's only two games in. Maybe things get better from here. Dan, what can we look forward to from the Dynamo? Uh, exactly what Buzz mentioned, uh, Paxton saying. A uh, high-press team likes to, to play out, play in a nicer style than those horrible Dom Kinnear days. Um, typically sharp in a 4-2-3-1. It kind of plays... Well, it kind of turns... It, it goes looks almost like a 4-3-3 with a single pivot, so... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if, if Dallas does choose a single or double pivot to kind of counteract that. Um, sorry, they do play a four. They do play a four three three. I'm an idiot. Um, Elise Minotas, uh, Quintero. That's a that's a great front line. Unfortunately, so the defense is definitely going to have its work cut out. All right, I'm embarrassed to admit. No, I'm not. Uh, I have no recollection of how Houston's uh, MLS back tournament went. Did they do anything? Or Drew did... two, lost one. They are technically bottom of the Western Conference right now. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, they're they're not particularly good uh, in terms of their performance in the MLS's back, but you know it is a rivalry game, and they have been working, and they do like to play vertical and fast. And Dallas has been terrible, so this is a game that you need to well, go down there and put on a good performance, or they're going to beat you. I mean, you say that it wasn't so much the performances; they just didn't get the results. Uh, you know, I lost to Portland to end up winning it, and. You know, arguably, a lot of people felt that Houston were actually the better team on the day. Uh, drew against both LA clubs. Okay, that's that's not the end of the world. Uh, they were easily the worst team in in the group of death, but they were in the group of death. Yeah, tough. Group. Yeah, yeah. You've yeah. still got to be there. Um, you know, they they impressed a, a fair few people. So, you know, we'll see what the effects of sitting around for by the time kickoff comes around an exact month is going to have on them. All right. So that game's at 7 PM. It is on TX 21. Uh, I hope everybody gets to uh, watch the game. Uh, Buzz, I have assigned you a homework assignment task to find out the answer to why the <laughs> Mark and Steve uh, uh, broadcast is never used on the ESPN or any of these uh, national, you know, any of the uh, services. They always end up getting the other team's feed, and you're going to come back and find that answer for us, right? Well, I've, I think I know why, but I'll try and get a 100% official answer for you if I can. Is it? I know some people I can call. All right. Is it have something to do with mushrooms? Oh, no, no. It's related to transmission, it's related to how the signal gets from. Uh, Toyota Stadium to TXA 21, the path it goes, it's a fiber optic path. It's related to how it's transmitted. It's different than some other stadiums, which are, you know, go through different versions of transmission. It's just a technical thing, but um, it so has it's to not be a con it's, it's not a conspiracy against Mark and no. Steve is what you're saying. No, 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 no. Because okay. most other teams use the home feed all the time. It's only when you come to Dallas that you get the road feed. And it just has to do with, 
my understanding is, and I will, and I'm going to try and get a definitive answer. My understanding is that it's because the Dallas signal doesn't go through like the national uh, fiber hubs. It's like a, just a direct shot downtown to 21. And that's what I, I understand is the problem. But I, like I said, I will double check with some people for you. All right. It's super sexy when you talk technical jargon and your feed kind of cuts <laughs> out and gets all digitized. It's kind almost of sound like a, you sound like a robot. It's pretty uh, hot. You're, you're fine, Mr. Now. Roboto. Nice. Yeah, Mr. Roboto. Okay. Uh, right about the time that we started recording this, or shortly thereafter, North Texas SC, we're playing somewhere against somebody I don't know personally. Buzz, you pay attention to this more than I do. Anything you wanted to throw out there about them and their uh, come-from-behind draw against, was it Chattanooga? Revs. Uh, oh, the Revolution. No, Sorry. New England. Yeah, Revolution New England. Too. Yeah. yeah, they're in Fort Lauderdale tonight, and the, the lineup just came out as we're talking, and it's uh, – it's as I predicted um, it would be. Wow. Oh, except for keeper. Avales is back in. So, um, oh, no, Smith uh, uh, Smith is in there, too. That's good. Colin Smith, I didn't think they would try. They would start that kid. Uh, another academy kid. That's three academy kids in the lineup. But that's not what I want to talk about. What I wanted to talk about with regards to this team is I want to double down on this concept because we talked a lot about today about the idea that the play the kids is dying on the vine. Um, and I think if that is what is happening, I think you have to do better by your kids or you're going to leave them in the dust. Um, and I want to double down on the idea that North Texas USL one is not good enough for homegrowns to be developing. It's good. What they need to take that team and turn it into basically a U 20 team, like half or more Academy or just kids right out of the Academy only rehab assignments. That's fine. But otherwise it doesn't do any value in terms of, development in my opinion so there's a big gap that's creating because they're not in <clears throat> they're not in USLC which is good enough for development so FC Dallas I think desperately needs to find a team maybe it's USLC maybe it's some other country find a team that they can send two three four or maybe even five homegrowns to play there for a season they need to be like is it is, is it Man U? Is it Anderlecht that Man U uses where they send guys off that are their big prize guys? It's like Chelsea them, yeah. does this too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like you cut these deals with teams that are you, and you you send off your very best kids with the idea that they're going to play a ton because playing garbage minutes here or playing for North Texas is not developing you. you put the garbage minutes on the guys that are the college players that you picked in the third round or whatever, let those guys have garbage minutes. So that I just want to double down on that idea that Dallas needs to do something and find a relationship somewhere with somebody. And so uh, just to repeat for people that don't know the answer to this, the, the answer to the obvious question of then why don't they just make it an USLC team is cost, purely cost. Cost. Yeah. The unofficially we had heard that, USL championship uh, expansion fees are at least 10, 15, maybe even 25 million now, which is more than MLS was when MLS founded. Right. And then USL one is like, I don't know, 5 million or something, or maybe even less, maybe a couple hundred, 500 grand. It was 500, 500 grand. grand. Yeah. At least uh, at the time go, yeah. that they started North Texas. Yeah, That's it, was... it. That's all that's it. And in the roster costs are considerably less and USL one, it's half Academy kids, half guys that are on a thousand dollars a month, semi-pro, you know, whatever. So it's all about the cost savings. Oscar was... Breha desperately wanted the team to be USL championship. He fought and fought and fought and the hunts just wouldn't do it. So oh, yeah, that's money. other, that's another reason on the list of reason why Oscar. There was also the uh, the roster rules element of it because they originally when they launched uh, USL League One they were trying to get some kind of NCAA exemption in there that 
like USL League 2 has, but it didn't pan out. And then just the ability to call up from the academy and and uh, loan those players short-term without actually formalizing a loan. And threatening well, their now. NCAA uh, uh, eligibility is what you're You can you're do saying. that now with USLC. Oh, you can with C. Kids. No. Yeah. Okay. You couldn't back then, but you can now. You can play academy kids in there. I mean, the, the, if they get lucky, USL will implement promotion and relegation. They keep claiming that they're looking at it and that they might. So maybe you can sneak in that way. That'd be awesome. That'd be great if you could do that. Well, but <laughs> on the cheap. yeah, but I'm sure that's going to come with a, a set of expenses that all those teams playing in USL one would never be able to afford. I mean, you know, or, or stadium yeah. requirements or any other kind of requirements that come with promotion that they well, still haven't figured out. They've got that figured out for Te- North Texas with the in Arlington. That's plenty big enough stadium. Oh yeah, certainly yes. This, <laughs> I mean, yeah. the, the MLS yeah. teams are set. You've got the Revs play at Gillette. Um, Fort Lauderdale well, plays at Lockhart. I mean, most of them are, that, are playing at. Yeah, sorry. That's a big part of it. Is the USL doesn't want uh, MLS two teams in USL Championship. They want to get rid of all of them. They want to get them all down to USL one. They don't want them in the USL Championship. Well, that's kind of like the great compromise, right? If uh, if Tacoma and Timbers two and, and New York Red Bulls want to stay up, earn your spot. Yeah, I, I find the whole North Texas Soccer Club thing and how it has turned out for the Hunt family to be utterly confusing. I don't understand its place in the structure now, especially in light of their inability to get these kids to sign these contracts to stick around. I, I just, I don't get it. It just, To me, it just feels like, uh, it feels like an ex- more of an extension of the academy than it does a part of the senior team. Does that make any sense? No, that, that 100% makes sense, and that's what it should be. That's what I'm suggesting, is that it becomes even more that, that it's even more just academy kids and even more just 18-year-olds. If you're going to stay in USL 1. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. Because, like, the 23 or 24-year-olds there, that does nothing. Who cares? That's worthless. It's like, what it what it's good for is the Justin Che, who's 16, playing against men. That's what's great. And so, like, if it was half of your 19s and 17s were all playing in USL one instead. That's a huge draw for your Academy. It's better for real pressure development. It will be huge. That's what it should be. Yeah. Well, I will say the last time when I watched that game at globe life park against Chattanooga, it, it literally looked like men versus boys on television. The, 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 the overall size and maturity level was so obvious and apparent between the two teams. It was actually, it was a bit alarming, frankly. <laughs> but that's what I mean. That's the idea. That's what you want. I mean, that's what for development, that's what makes your guys gives them a chance to really, really, really become something special is when you have to, when you have to play against guys like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, you talk to the young guys and they're like, Hey, this is the best learning experience ever. I'm getting elbowed off the ball by a 30 year old 10 year pro. You know, I, I know how to go into that situation more so than always being the fastest, strongest kid in the Academy. All right. Yeah, remember, uh, like the Dallas Academy teams dominates ninety five percent of teams they play with without even playing their good players. It's like those guys aren't learning anything. Tessman crushes guys at that level. It's like, dude, get them out of there. You know what I mean? T- uh, t- Thomas just dribbled through ten guys and scored. It was stupid. So yeah, they should all be at USL one a long time ago. Well, Thomas should be doing that in USL one too. 
Well, he was much, much better last game. FC Dallas heads to Houston and plays the Dynamo Friday night, 7 p.m. on TX21. Uh, North Texas is playing tonight. Uh, thank you, Buzz, for all of your hard work and your insight. As always, it's outstanding. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dan. It's always a treat to uh, spend time soccer talking with you. Yay. <laughs> and thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan. We'll speak to you again next week on another fun-filled, top-of-the-notch edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Crush the